Hey, this is Rob, and that's Micaiah, and you are listening to You Forgot One. Today on You Forgot One, Notorious B.I.G., Ready to Die. Micaiah, a year and a half ago, Rolling Stone said this is the single best hip-hop album ever made. The same magazine says this is the 22nd greatest album ever made and here it is on our podcast in season number three so tell us what we need to know about notorious big in this debut album ready to die it's the first and only biggie album that came out in his lifetime he was 21 when he recorded it, um, partially in 93 and then partially in 94 uh, because there were some label issues. So he recorded some stuff and then there was something wrong with, you know, Puff Daddy, P. Diddy, Sean Combs, however you may refer to him. I like Puff Daddy personally. That's how I knew him best. Uh, and so, you know, uh, Diddy, I guess, uh, starts Bad Boy Records. And so this is kind of the first, like, really big, ginormous, you know, Bad Boy Records release, I believe. Uh, so very important. You know, it's equally important for, for Diddy and uh, for Biggie. Uh, 21 uh, comes out in 1994. And it's um, really kind of riding the coattails of the of the new wave of like hardcore hip hop, especially Wu-Tang, which came out into, into, into the Wu, you know, from 1993. And there's definitely references to Wu-Tang in this record and Method Man is on it. So that's definitely kind of like bringing back the boom bap, like hardcore, hard beats, really, uh, but more emphasis on the lyrics and the rhymes even more than the music. Um, and an emphasis uh, in Biggie's case, on um drug culture crime and also uh the third component i think it's left out a lot is the mental health aspects of it uh, i think a lot of uh, people are kind of accused biggie of glamorizing and romanticizing drug dealing and that's really not what this record is at all um he says on it multiple times how stressed he is you know, and um, I think it was Robert Krishkov's earlier review talks about how this is the first record that makes this life seem scary. And when he says that he wants to kill himself, you hope that he doesn't. And, you know, like it's it's very emotionally intense. And you can see this kick off a new wave of like not like De La Soul, Tribe Called Quest, not like the fun groups, but just like the the poetic single voice. Tupac, right, is the obvious example. But even this year, Illmatic, you know, Nas in 96, Jay-Z, Reasonable Doubt. You know, it's this this new, the authentic, singular poet MC, you know, who's talking about, you know, like drug culture and crime culture. And, and a lot of people argue that Biggie may be the best rapper to have ever lived. A lot of people make that claim and uh, they say, you know, that it's really kind of Biggie's rhymes and Tupac's persona together. You have kind of the, the key models for, for rappers um, in the last 
30 years. Um, I think, you know, there's no surprise that people in the last 10 years have called Kendrick maybe kind of the greatest of his generation because Good Kid Mad City is ready to die part two. You know, I mean, it's it's very similar. Um, making the album something that's actually cinematic narratively and like narrative driven. Mm-hmm. Pretty pretty new for a hip hop record to do that in, in 94. Uh, but also being from the West Coast, you know, so he, you know, so Kendrick can combine both those things. Uh, but, you know, I, but that, that's all part of the tragedy. You know, we get this album and we get Life After Death, which comes out 12 days after Biggie is killed at the age of 24. Yeah. And that's a double disc. So there's a lot of music on there. And then we have some stuff come out after he's died. That's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, some, some good stuff come. Some's just weird. Uh, obvious cash grab, right? Um, all the jokes about, you know, Tupac released more music dead than alive. And, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. And the same can kind of be said for Biggie, but uh, yeah, so there's a lot of tragedy surrounding Biggie and these albums that are all about, you know, uh, his death, ready to die life after death. You know, they, they seem very prophetic in that way. Um, some might say a self-fulfilling prophecy. I don't think that's accurate, uh, but some just like an awareness. There's, there's, he has some sense of awareness that his life is, his life on earth is short. It's going to be short. Yeah. I, so you, you said a lot there and I want to respond, I think, first to the idea that big, maybe one of, if not the best rapper of all time, I think the sample size is just too small. I think the strength of this one album and really half of life after death. And if you give him credit for an entire career and kind of extrapolate that out, I think it's easy to say that, but the reality is, Big gives us one really great album and half of a, of a a really great album. Like life after death is, um, it is a bloated album. Uh, it, it is, it has some really great stuff on it. It is very much a bad boy records album. And it's interesting because so much of ready to die was recorded P. Diddy was essentially just doing A&R for a different label that it's, it's really an album that sounds much more like Biggs record. By the time you get to life after death, it sounds like P. Diddy's record. Like it sounds like this is a bad boy record release and Sean Combs has a lot of control into what that sounds like and who's involved with it. And so in many ways that that record is like, we've made the money and now we need to make sure we keep the money. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and it is, it is a platform for the rest of the labels artists in a way that ready to die is not that, that in some ways life after death becomes kind of a shared stage where big is the headlining act, but there are way too many opening acts that also get stage time on that album with someone who is dead at 24 with essentially two albums under their belt when they pass, we, we never got to really see him evolve. Like we, we never got to see 
a, a, a picture of big growing, evolving, becoming a different kind of MC. And so I, I want to, as we talk about how great this album is, I don't want us to get stuck in that trap of going, Hey, here's someone with an, with a tragic early death. And therefore we make claims about them. That is, you know, overly grandiose. No, I like where this is going. Cause I think big is not the only person we'll say within hip hop specifically to die young. Cause it's not like we look at like Scott LaRock and we were just like, he was actually the best DJ and producer of all time. Mm. You know, we, you know, we, maybe we do that a little bit with jam master Jay, but he died, you know, as a, as a relatively older man, um, still very young and very tragic, but you know, so it's not like he's the only hip hop artist to, to have died young, but I think there is something about first off the biggie Tupac, like dying so close together. Mm-hmm. I think that ties both of them. Like at like, the height of the east coast west coast well just that that specific era of just like you know that like 94 to 97 just like new kind of creative peak for hip-hop like post i mean some people say the golden age ends in 93 um but some people have now been extending that up to like 98 but you know it's, it's 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 a very fertile ground yeah um you know, and so for them to the, the two heavy hitters to to go, you know, so it, for narrative reasons, it's you know, it, it's all like baked in there in terms of just like build, creating a mythology. I will but, say this: okay, big, big was absolutely a heavy hitter in terms of MCs on the East Coast during that period of time. Mm-hmm. Pac was way more of a celebrity than he was a great MC. Completely agree. We've talked about this once at least once before Mm -hmm. Uh, tupac the persona of tupac is greater than tupac the rapper yeah it just i mean he just just is yeah because Uh, even even by the even by the time Pac dies like the rest of the guys on death row are still a bigger deal and still better mcs than he is yeah, but to what are you saying about you know like the the samples too small to call them the greatest? The other point to make there is you know had he lived longer, you know he also may have made a lot of the same mistakes Jay Z did. Yeah, oh absolutely. Had, or or Nas like Nas has released countless amount of albums, and we only ever talk about one, two at most. You know, like. Even though he recently won a Grammy, it's like, yeah, but, you know, Elmatic, because that's the best one. But, you know, so, like, you know, it, it, it could have been that thing where it's, he goes on and people still kind of talk about the early stuff. It could have been that, you know, um, Chris Rock makes the joke in top five. It's like, oh, man, if Tupac had lived, imagine the things he'd done. And Chris Chris Rock's character is basically himself. It's like, yeah, or he could have just been the light-skinned boyfriend in a Tyler Perry movie, you know, like you know anything could have happened you know so you know it's uh you know and anything could happen but you know maybe he wouldn't have had her but ready to die is much more a blueprint than the blueprint that we covered uh, a few 
episodes ago now. I mean, like this thing is just as an album, just the, I mean, iconic cover, right? Uh, the original cover, a lot of the LPs are the one, like the ones that we have are not like the original album cover or the original LP cover, but they're not the baby with the Afro, you know, ready to, you know, that image has, you know, become pretty ubiquitous and pretty iconic and, you know, so, you know anything it, about that? Like, can you, can you tell us about why the two covers? Cause I've, I don't know anything about that. I don't know either. I know that the, when it was originally released, it was the cover that it's, you know, that it's big up front. Uh, it kind of has the same color scheme as time out of mind, like that weird, you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, and I don't know, even as they continue to reissue it, that was the cover. And then recently they've gone back to the CD cover. With with the baby, I I I I don't know. I, I don't know if it was. I mean, why would it have been like a licensing issue? Like, why couldn't they? I, I have no idea what the story is there. Nevertheless, you know, so it it, it has this great cover. Um, it has at least two mega iconic hit songs. Mm-hmm. There's one one other single and a couple others that are just iconic, but weren't like great successful singles uh you know so you have that baked in there but you also have like like i was talking about earlier like that narrative structure yeah you know like the the life and death narrative and the the narratives of the songs and using uh sound effects you know and the the way it uses skits and interludes it's just like well this you know not like de la soul where it's all fun and games really but something very dark I think we can like maybe like like empirically like run the numbers and say this is probably the most influential of these ninety hip hop album nineties hip hop albums. It's probably the most like and again a lot of really bad poor imitations. Pro- probably probably has the most imitators. Probably has you know when 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 a artist is ready to be like okay, I'm going into my mature phase now. I'm going to tackle life and death, or uh, I'm going to tell the story of my life. You know, uh, Kendrick is the easiest one to do this with, with Good Kid, Mad City, because, I mean, I've already brought it before, but that's the easiest comparison. But I feel like a lot of people go to this well when they're ready to make a great record or they want to make a big statement. You know, it's just uh, kind of, I think it might be like the blueprint. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, for, for that style. Yeah. And, and I, I, obviously I agree with that. I mean, this is an album we both nominated this, this season. Um, uh, before we go to the break, just a, a little bit of the numbers. Um, this is an album that has sold more than 6 million copies in the United States, uh, more than 13 million copies globally. Uh, it, it, it is an album that is entirely recorded, um, during the period of time in which big is 21, 22 years old. And for an album that is so autobiographical in its narrative structure, this is still a very, very young man. There's, there's a lot of life and a lot of experiences that big has gone through, in the first 22 years of his life. And all of it is utilized, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly in really honest ways. There is a, um, there's a vulnerability to this album that we don't talk about enough. 
And I, I think we're really going to see that as we kind of dive in to this album. Um, but of course, uh, we're talking about this album in many ways because of how much in the last three, four years, this album has really kind of shot to the very top of kind of all the canonical lists that we think of. So in the original uh, iteration of the Rolling Stone 500 in 2003, this album came and ranked at 133. It actually dropped to 134 in 2012. But in 2020, this shot all the way up to number 22. And like we said, uh, about a year and a half ago when Rolling Stone put together their best hip hop albums of all time, this came in at number one. Number one. This is the all-time greatest hip-hop album, according to Rolling Stone. And really, even if we look at some, some, other, uh, some other lists, Time Magazine in 2006 said it's a, one of the 100 greatest albums ever made. Vibe says it's one of the 100 most essential albums ever made. Um, Spin says this is the 30th best album that's ever been made. So this is an album that has regularly been noted. Uh, Pitchfork, their top 100 records of the 1990s. This came in at number 32 of the 90s. And of course, even across the pond, uh, The Guardian says this is one of the thousand most important albums ever made. Uh, uh, Mojo in 2003 says this is one of the best albums ever made. So everywhere you look, people are recognizing these 17 tracks as some of the best to ever be made, the best hip hop that's ever happened. And uh, we're going to get into all of that in just a few minutes. But first, we want to take a quick break. We want to let you hear from our sponsors and we have heard a lot. You've heard us talk a lot about our sponsor, Mirror Coffee Roasters. Well, I had the chance this week to sit down with the Katrobsky brothers who own Mirror Coffee Roasters and hear a little bit about their process. And so we're going to have a short clip with them where you're going to get to hear them tell you why Mirror Coffee Roasters is so good. You'll hear from Spotify for podcasters and then Micaiah and I will be back to talk all things ready to die. Listeners, you've heard me talk about them all season and I can't say enough good things about Mirror Coffee Roasters. And I have with me the brothers and co-owners of Mirror Coffee Roasters, Sergey and Mark Katrovsky. Guys, I've been saying it all season long. Tell us, tell our listeners about Mirror Coffee Roasters and what makes your coffee so dang good. I'm so stoked that you've been enjoying Mirror Coffee Roasters and some of the coffees that we sent your way. Um, basically, I guess the whole ethos of Mirror has been we want to use coffee as a way to share the stories of the whole supply chain. And why is that important is because the supply chain is across the whole globe. So it's basically sharing the stories of the world through the eyes of coffee and at the same time bring a coffee that is 
absolutely superb. So it's pairing like great storytelling with an excellent craft. Um, we are both from the background of uh, photography and cinematography. So hence, um, capturing stories through photography and cinematography is our natural, very natural essence of who we are as creatives. Uh, but then at the same time, we've went on this coffee journey that's completely changed our lives and how we experience the very common beverage that I'm assuming we'll talk about later. So starting a roasting company became just kind of the natural outflow of these two passions and merging the two together. Um, and as we continue talking about the topic of sustainability and coffee, um, we realized that to make positive and uh, transformational change, you have to share a story. And the whole essence of change is through storytelling. So yeah, that's that's kind of the main thing. A lot of things go into that. Um, a lot of uh, daily, uh, the daily grind or the daily, uh, um, the daily grungy work behind the roaster um, and dialing in coffees to make sure they taste as amazing as uh, the producers that we've met as those producers just being wonderful humans we want to use coffee as a means to reflect what we've um, experienced through that mirror coffee roasters is truly a story in every cup of coffee i want to encourage you to hop on their website mirrorcoffeeroasters.com hop on their website and pick up their coffee box today things 
that are impossible to ignore when we talk about Biggie as an MC. And in some ways, I, I think you've got some really interesting things to say about this, but I want to go ahead and name all three and then kind of let us dive into these. So number one, of course, Notorious Big, Biggie Smalls, Christopher Wallace. He's a big boy, six foot three, over 340 pounds for the majority of his rapping career. And you can hear his weight. Um, you can hear his size in his voice, how big his cheeks are, how big his lips are, how big his tongue is. I mean, there is just some of that stuff. And there's there's not kind of a, a nice or polite way to say it. But even if you never saw a picture of the Notorious B.I.G., you could hear him speak or hear him rap and know just because of the physics of his voice that this is a big guy. And yet that also plays a role in giving him such a distinctive sound of his voice and allows him to sound so smooth in his delivery. So that's one thing that I, I, I want to talk about in, in, in recognizing that there's, you know, again, not body shaming or, or making fun here, just recognizing that that is a part of just the physics of how his voice sounds. Um, it's, it's a part of the physics of his breathing. I mean, he, he, he breathes heavy when, when you hear him rap. So, I mean, that's, that's part of just the physics of who he is, his, his, his physical size and what that means in his voice and in the way he sounds. But then I also want to talk about that for as clever a rapper as he is, um, he's someone who loves language. He's someone who loves, um, I mean, he, he's regularly been referred to as the best multisyllabic uh, rapper, um, someone who loves putting together big words in his rapping. And yet this is a high school dropout who spent time in prison before he was 21 years old. There is a part of that as well that um, there is something about his love for language. He, he was someone who excelled in English and in writing very early on in his life. And so I want to talk about that as well. That's kind of the second part. And then the third part is this. Big is Jamaican. He is, huh. he, he is the child of... Jamaican parents raised in Brooklyn around other Caribbean cultures. I, I think it's easy to listen to big and to point obviously to so many of the eighties, New York hip hop pioneers, some of the early nineties, New York hip hop pioneers. We can hear Brooklyn, but more than just hearing Brooklyn, he is Jamaican. And, you know, as we talked about when we did our episode on Vampire Weekend's 
modern vampires of the city, Jamaica um, per capita may be the single most influential nation in global music. The impact that Jamaica has on so many different genres of music and styles of music. And I think that we don't give enough credit to Big's Jamaican background when we think about him as a rapper, as an MC, and as a performer. So three things here. The physicality of Big and the role that that plays in his unique voice. Number two, even though he's a high school dropout who does time in prison, he is an accomplished writer and lover of English from a very young age. He is the child of Jamaican parents. So, Micaiah, those three ideas, those kind of three big ideas, what do you think about all that? How, how, what, what do you want to kind of throw in to each of those? Number one, big man, big voice, Biggie Smalls, right? Yeah. Um, not much to say, but I mean, I think that if he, if we're asking like what would have happened if he had lived longer, he would probably would have been playing Kingpin in the Daredevil movie instead of Michael Clark Duncan. Uh, Cause the dude is built like Kingpin from the Spider-Man comics, you know, um, he would dress like Kingpin from the Spider-Man comics. Uh, so that's all I have to say about that. You know, you know, but I mean, the, then you have, you know, Ron Funches, who also is also a big guy who does not have a big voice, uh, but a great voice. Love Ron Funches. Um, so yeah, I, I don't have much to to add to that, but there is more, more important than than his size is. I think which what you were hitting at is, is the voice, and that you know those are connected. But his, his voice in particular is, you know, it's interesting because I think he's recognize more for the smoothness of his voice uh, because the singles are all the smooth biggie but when he does give me the loot and he's much more kind of abrasive you're like oh this this man can be scary when he needs to turn it on he can turn it on, you know, so it's smooth and sexy he can, he can you get the sense that he can do the Barry White thing if he wanted to, but he can also do the stick up thing, which he does on the record, you know, so it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful voice. And I think that if you don't have that voice, no one cares. Nigga that's getting screwed and bruised up 
from the pistol whipping, webs on the neck from the necklace stripping, then I'm dipping up the block and I'm robbing bitches too, up the heron bones and bamboos, I wouldn't give a fuck if you pin her, give me the baby rings and the number one mom pendant, huh. I'm slamming niggas like Shaquille, shit is real, when it's time to eat a meal, I rob and steal, cause mom Duke ain't giving me shit, so for the bread and butter, I leave niggas in the gutter, huh. word the mother, I'm dangerous, crazier than a bag of fucking angel dust, when I bust my gap, motherfuckers take dirt naps. I'm all that and a dime sack. Where the paper at? Okay, uh, what was number two? Uh, number two was I, I wanted to talk about his his love for for language, and despite the fact that you know he ended up becoming you know later on a high school dropout and heavily involved in crime, you, mm-hmm. you know. That, that any kind of attempt to pigeonhole him as uh, uneducated or as someone who, you know, you know that, that ultimately he, he was very sharp from a very young age. Right. Well, so, I mean, in, in Western culture and America, right, we think of academic achievement or we, we measure intelligence, right, through kind of academic achievement. What did you get? On stand, in elementary schools, middle schools, high schools, what did you get on your standardized test? So we we have, we think of these things like like empirical terms, just like I want to see the number of how smart you are. I want to look at your grade point average of how smart you are, and that's just not that's just not a great measurement for intelligence. I know a lot all the kids in my high school who are in AP classes, they're all swapping homework. You know, just copying each other as a small group of people, getting good grades because they were all copying each other's homework. One of them maybe was, was smart, and the rest of them just knew were smart enough to know who to copy off of, which I guess is its own kind of intelligence. Yeah, I mean, they, they, you know, they're, they're, and there are different kinds of intelligence also, right? That, you know, I think a creative genius is not the same thing as someone who finds the cure for cancer, right? Um you know, the, the, those are valued differently. And big specifically is a creative genius. He's an artist. And an artist, an artistic genius is not the same person as a scientific genius or a mathematic genius or, you know, someone in the social sciences, but an artistic genius. And of course, you and I, you know, lovers of like the liberal, liberal arts and the humanities, we value that stuff very highly. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners value that stuff very highly. And so for someone who's not doing well in school, but is smart, you know, it's like I've observed the world and I've, I've, I've been, you know, I'm, I'm 18, I'm 17, I'm 16. And I, I don't do well in school necessarily because these assignments are dumb and this curriculum sucks. My my new textbook tells me that Rosa Parks gave up her seat apropos of nothing because I go to the school in the state of Florida now. Uh, so what, what, what learning are you doing there? But you've done enough learning, you've lived enough life and you've witnessed enough things that you're like, I think I actually know more about how the world works than my teacher does. My teacher went to Harvard or went to some Ivy League school and got an education degree and then came here and got a master's in education. I don't think they know anything about what it's like to live at the poverty line. I don't think they know what it's like to, you know, to, to have lived this life. And now they're going to try and teach me. We're, we're going we're gonna to read the color purple in class. They don't know anything about this experience. They don't know anything about this. You know, you're going to try and teach me about Huck Finn. What do you know about Huck Finn? You know, so, you know, again, different, you know, that you can probably tell me, you know, the, the publishing history of it much better than I could, but I think I have a better understanding of what this text actually is. 
you know, I, th- I think Big is someone who just uh, was incredibly smart. I mean, look, look at any of these lyrics. You know, they're inc- like he he is operating at the height of his intelligence. Even when he even when his humor comes out, it's still at the height of his intelligence and in, in his rhymes. And it's just, I mean, truly, but I mean, every time I I listen to this record. Just driving around listening to it with my wife, I was, and I was like, I know this isn't unique, but God, this guy's good. I mean, like, this guy's good. Like, uh, I mean, just it's it's nuts, you know. And, and like, he, he, what and what Big does is that he knows, yeah, he is the child of hip hop. Well, and then I, the, and part of the reason I wanted us to talk just for a moment about his education and that background is I do want to make mention of this. George Westinghouse High School in Brooklyn. Spring semester of 1988, how many people would walk down the halls? How many admin, how many professors, you know, how many teachers would walk down the halls and go, there are three future all-time great artists in these halls? Because... For that one semester, Biggie Smalls, Jay-Z, and Buster Rhymes were students together at the same school. Three three of the best to ever do it. No one would question it. Yeah. Yeah. And they may not have been great students, you know, or or they may not have been AP students or whatever, you know, but, you know, who have, but still have so much more. I mean, I, I have friends who dropped out of high school who were musicians and artists who were doing very well. Who the fuck is this? Page of me at 546 in the morning. Crack a dawning. Now I'm yawning. Wipe the cold out my eye. See who's this page of me and why. It's my nigga Pop from the barber shop. Told me he was in the gambling spot and heard the intricate plot. A niggas want to stick me like fly paper neighbor. Slow down, love. Please chill. Drop Remember them niggas from the hill up in Brownsville that you rolled dice with? My nigga fame up in prospect. Nah, them my niggas. Nah, love wouldn't disrespect. I didn't say them. They school me to some niggas that you knew from back when. When you was clocking minor figures. Now they heard you blowing up like nitro. When they wanna stick the knife through your windpipe slow. So thank fame for warning me. Cause now I'm warning you. I got the Mac, nigga. Tell me what you gonna do. Damn. Niggas wanna stick me for my paper. Damn. Niggas wanna stick me for my paper. Damn. Niggas wanna stick me for my paper. Well, let's let's move on because I, something I, I, I before we talk about this album, I want us to talk about, and that's that final point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it, this is a great Big, point. Big is the child of Jamaican immigrant parents raised in Jamaican and Caribbean culture. Caribbean culture is essential to hip hop because it is hip hop. Okay, um, dubbing. Right. This this, you know, the the idea of an MC really comes from Jamaican culture. You would in Jamaica, you would have someone who would set up speakers and they would play music and they would rap over it. Essentially, that's kind of the earliest version of an MC and they would dub and they would toast over the music. Um, And this was happening, you know, um, a great film anthology series on Amazon came out called Small Acts. Uh, Everyone should watch Lovers Rock. 
to see a lover's rock party a fantastic uh film within that series uh but you get a sense like oh this is hip-hop this year is was referred to you know we're, we're calling it the 50th anniversary of hip-hop why do we call it that uh because it's the 50th anniversary of the first hip-hop party well who put on that party right uh dj cool herc right uh where's cool herc come from right jamaican it's caribbean where does he get this idea to set the speakers and get the microphone and turn jamaica the other component that the documentary that came out a couple years ago is that biggie's uh neighbor was a jazz drummer so that's another component here which you know a lot of a lot of work has been done comparing jazz to hip hop uh, more so than talking about the Caribbean culture and, and hip hop, but they did a, a great video comparing a jazz drum solo to one of Biggie's freestyles, trying to discern where does his flow come from? And it moves like a jazz drummer, whereas Rakim is trying to do the jazz horns, uh, with that mashup, that that edit that's in the documentary, uh, they're comparing Biggie to, and it's it's a great edit. And you're like, well, I guess that's that's that. Close the book on that. We 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 found it. Now I don't, I can't remember. I mean, for all I know, they could have just like had that voice and like brought in a jazz drummer, and be like, drum over this. But you know, it's a uh, it's interesting, and I think there, there's something to that. Growing up with Jamaican parents and a jazz drummer as your neighbor, and those are the two things that, and, and growing up with hip-hop you know being born around the same time and watching it evolve as you grow up those three things i think are, are what make him and, and we're not even talking about crack we're not talking about drug dealing all right because like that that i mean that 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 is part of a life experience that he has but the musical stuff right that that to me is more interesting than that's stuff that we hear about all the time about he had crack like in his room and his mom thought it was mashed potatoes and she threw it out. Like we, like that story gets told like a lot, but like, that's just much less interesting to me than like his musical DNA. So I'm glad you brought the Jamaica stuff because it's essential, not only to him, but to hip hop in general. I'm ready. As I grab the Glock, put it to your headpiece, one in the chamber, the safety is off release. I wanna see cabbage. Think he smelled the savage. Doing your brain cells much damage. Teflon is the material for the imperial. Might rip a girl strip of the henny zipper. I drop lyrics off and on like a light switch. Quick to grab the right bitch and make her drive the cue. 45 blocks and checks are expected when I wreck shit. Respect is collected, so check it. I got techniques dripping out my butt cheeks. Sleep on my stomach so I don't fuck up my sheets. Look, my shit is deep. Deeper than my grave, G. I'm ready to die and nobody can save me. Fuck the world, fuck my moms and my girl. My life is played out like a Jerry Curl. I'm ready to die. Well, that being said, let's go ahead and talk about this album. And, you know, as we mentioned earlier, um, half the album... And, and really, if you separate these tracks out, you can hear the difference. Half the album is recorded in 1993 with 
with Sean Combs as the A and R guy at is it Uptown is the label, and and so essentially it's just you know Sean Combs, Puff Daddy, P Diddy, whatever you want to say, um, is really just an A and R guy, and Easy uh, Easy Moby is working as the producer. And so if you're ever looking at the track listing, if you want to know the songs that were done in 93, it's all of the Easy Moby uh, producers. Uh, Sean Combs is fired by Uptown. And because Big is kind of his one uh, A&R find uh, for the label, as soon as Puffy's fired, suddenly big is hanging in the balance. And so ultimately, uh, you know, Sean Combs forms bad boy records, uh, gets a collection of different producers to come in and, uh, record the rest of the album and they put it together and you can tell the difference, even though it's, it's basically a year separating the two recording sessions. You, you do hear, Big becomes smoother. He does, you know, and I, I love that you mentioned the that kind of idea of him doing uh, like that 70s soul. The Barry White thing comes in in a big way in all of the stuff that he records in 94. But the 93 recordings, uh, they hit hard. And um, I mean, Big's kind of angrier on those songs. His voice is a little higher pitched on those songs. He's definitely more aggressive on those songs, but the way that this album is sequenced together so that really these two different recording periods of time, a year apart are blended together so seamlessly um, in the sequencing of this album and in the kind of autobiographical telling the narrative flow of this album uh, it it all just works, and you'd never know that halfway through the recording process of this process of this album, there was concern over whether or not any of it would ever come out, um, just because of the way it all came out together. And so, uh, for as much as can be said later on about the way in which he does Bad Boy Records and the way in which he is, um, in some ways, I think rightfully kind of criticized for. Um, his self-promotion in as a producer in later records. Uh, I think that the work that Puffy does pulling this album together kind of as an executive producer in the end um, is, is worth mentioning and worth giving some credit to. That being said, Micaiah, let's go ahead and jump in. There's 17 tracks on this album. Let's go in order of how they appear. Give me your five. I feel like this this could be one where we have an identical five again. Okay. I feel like that that's possible. I am going to say number well first, not number one necessarily, but first, uh is things done changed. Which um Wikipedia told me is actually in the Norton anthology of African American literature. And one of the only rap songs to be in the Norton anthology of literature, uh, which is neat. Um, yeah, it's pretty much the first official track. Don't have much to say except for that it rules because the one I'm most excited about is Gimme the Loot, um, which is just now 
his, I mean, this is this is the one of the early ones, I believe, from '93. Yeah, and this is the one that every time I hear, I go, "The sky's good." <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> this guy's good. Uh, you know, slamming people like Shaquille. Shit is real. When it's time to eat a meal, I rob and steal. You know, just like bam, 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 bam. You know, that's something that like um, that uh, Andre Three Thousand really latches onto. This is one where it's like, oh. Oh yeah, he was the best ever. Like, if you ever just like, just like, approve it. Like, Biggie's good. Like, pr- like, I don't think that you don't go to you don't go to Big Papa. You don't go to my money, my problems. Go to Give Me the Loot. That's where you get like just rapid fire. Like, the hungry artist just like like has everything in the world. To, like, is really trying to prove himself. I mean, the title, Give Me the Loot right it demands your attention right it, it you know just like like give me the platform really it's kind of like the subtext there and i'll show you know big up big up it's a stick up stick up which again this is not one of those things though with with jay which is like this becomes a lonely island joke in like 20 years uh so that's my number two okay um then three three i will say juicy Right. I mean, this is what well, I mean. This is uh, one of the most iconic, you know, Hall of Fame hip hop songs. Um, and it also has my my favorite line, maybe on there. Uh, that's funny, mm-hmm. clever, catchy, and also says a lot about him. Uh, autobiographically but also kind of socioeconomically uh it's very it's just like each each line if you just kind of like single them out you can just really write a whole paper on them but uh for me i i mean anyone can go through juicy and just pick out their favorite line and talk for 10 minutes on them Uh, i love personally uh, I might butcher a little bit, but birthdays were the worst days. Now we uh, drink champagne when we Thursday, which yeah. give the man, you know, the Pulitzer Prize. Yeah. You know, birthdays, worst days, drink champagne now when we're Thursday, like A plus. It was 90s hip hop. Boom. Like that's the one. Like also, this is the debut album. You know, so I mean, I just think I just like you hear that you're just like it, I just uh, it just doesn't get much better than this, right? I mean, like it's it's so funny, it's so clever, um, but but also going into sad. I mean, the whole song is rags to riches. It's uh, you know maybe hip hop Horatio Algiers kind of myth making, but you know just you know wondering what how did christmas miss us you know all of that right before you know set up the birthdays were the worst days now we drink champagne with thursday like so many people latch on to the rags to riches thing mm-hmm. but none of them do it in a way that is as interesting or compelling is Fuck all you big Fuck. yeah this album is dedicated to all the teachers that told me I never amount to nothing. 
to all the people that lived above the buildings that I was hustling from that called the police on me when I was just trying to make some money to feed my daughter. So good, and all the niggas baby. in the struggle. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> it's all good, baby, baby. Yeah. Uh. It was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine. Salt and pepper and heavy D up in the limousine. Hanging pictures on my wall. Every Saturday, rap attack Mr. Magic Molly Mall. I let my tape rock till my tape pop. Smoking weed and bamboo, sipping on private stock. Way back when I had the red and black lumberjack with the hat to match. Remember rapping Duke? The hard, the hard. You never thought that hip hop would take it this far. Now I'm in the limelight because I rhyme tight. Time to get paid, blow up like the world's trade. Born sinner, the opposite of a winner. Remember when I used to eat sardines for dinner? Peace to Raw G, Brucey B, Kick it free. Funk Master Flex, Love Bug Star Ski. I'm blowing up like you thought I would. Call a crib, same number, same hood. It's all good. Uh. And if you don't know, now you know, nigga. Uh. Uh, I'm, I'm sprawling now. Juicy on there for me. Love that song. Um, I mean, I, w- I, w- I would be remiss if I didn't say Big Papa. I mean, because I mean, because that's kind of the first song maybe a lot of us heard from him. Yeah. Especially, I mean, I was three when this record came out, about to turn four, so I was not hearing this right when it came out. Um, Mo Money Mo Problems may have actually been the first song. I heard, uh, and then then maybe Big Papa, but I mean it's just uh, it's great. I mean, right? I mean, this is. I think maybe a lot of people would put this among the top best hip hop songs of all time. Maybe it would be the one if you only have one Biggie song. People might say this one. I think that's kind of unfair because I think that the two big singles from this record are actually a poor reflection of what the record is as a whole. Um, but that, that happens with, I mean, that's, that's what's the problem with like these kind of narrative driven albums. If you pull one scene or one chapter out and then kind of make that the thing to get people to go see it, it's just like, I mean, even trailers, we hate when they show you the whole movie, but at least they don't show you one scene and you're like, oh, I guess this is what that movie is. You know, like, so the, with narrative driven hip hop, when you take one song and make it the single and that's the thing and you get the rest of the record and you're like, wait, this isn't all big Papa. What is this? You know, so that, you know, so I, I don't think it's a great example of the whole album, uh, but it's a great example of where he's going with ready to die. That's for sure. Uh, so, but, it, but it's, it's a great song. Uh, and then fifth slot, right? For me. Okay. Wild card. I'm going to go back and I'm going to do everyday struggle. Um, just because it's, it is kind of more on the lo-fi. I think it, it might, it must also be one of the 93 tracks, uh, cause it doesn't sound as polished and there's a little bit more intensity there. And, um, yeah, I just think it's a really, cool track it's just, it's just one that i always just respond to is that you get that deep into the record and that one always just kind of stands out to me i, I always really like that one okay yeah so that that would be my five um love giving the loot love that line and juicy those are my great big takeaways so um in in order not to have the exact same five which we wouldn't have been that far off on um 
things done change and give me the loot i'm with you those are two just i mean and especially as the two opening tracks of the album i mean it it doesn't get much better but i'm gonna skip on down to warning um warning was uh so it was one of the tracks originally recorded in 93 um it was released as the b-side to the first single from the album um and I, I love kind of thinking about that A and B side of getting the more polished 94, um, you know, bad boy version and the earlier, a little, a little more raw picture And warning has some of the same thing going for it. that give me the loot does, which is there. The, the rhymes in it are a little more aggressive. Um, his his voice is is not as smooth it's almost raspy um there's there is uh he's he is almost he's almost yelling um in warning in in a way that he doesn't kind of elsewhere in the album and, and so i kind of like that i like that here's a song that you get all these different kind of variations of what he can do vocally so i'm gonna go warning uh i'll go the title track ready to die um again another one of these songs from 93 i think you know very early on kind of recognizing um and, and again like it's easy to forget that in the year before he's in the studio recording this song he has just essentially spent a year in prison and and so I, I think just some of the things that he he has seen there, and some of the ways that he the ways he writes about um, kind of an impending death around the corner, like it's maybe it is it, maybe it is sad in the reality of what ended up happening in his life. Um, and how early on he died. Uh, but I, I do think that it's kind of haunting to hear him do a song like this now um, in the aftermath of his death. Um, I'm going to go The What featuring Method Man as my third track. Uh, just because I love, again, you, you get the Wu-Tang shout out in the intro and then getting Method Man on the album on the what I think, you know, it, it's not a particularly great method man verse. I, I think he's got better guest verses on other songs. Um, but I love kind of the full circle moment that you get uh, between intro and the what. I used to get feels on the bitch. Now I throw shields on the dick to stop me from the HIV shit. And niggas know they soft like a Twinkie fillin'. Playin' the villain, prepare for this rap killin'. Biggie Smalls is the illest. Your style is played out like all the one that what you talking about, Willis. The thrill is gone, the black Frank White is here to excite. Throw dick to dice. Bitches are like I'm brainless, guns are like I'm stainless steel. I want the fucking fortune like the wheel. 
I squeeze gats till my clips is empty. Don't tempt me. Here I am, I'll be damned if this ain't some shit. Time to spread the blood, deliver it over harmony grit. It's the move killer death trap. Yes, I'm a jet black ninja. Coming where you rest at, surrender. Step inside the ring, use the number one contender. Looking cold booty like your pussy in December. Nigga, stop bitching, button up your lippin'. From method, all you getting is the can of ass whipping. Hey, I'll be kicking. You, son, you doing all the yapping. Acting as if it can't happen. Your front ain't got me mad enough to touch something. You're one from Shallon, Allen, and ain't afraid to bust something. So what you want, nigga? You won't, nigga. I got a six shooter and a horse named Trigger. It's real, 94, rugged roar. Kicking on your goddamn doors. Do something like this. the world, oh, don't ask me yeah, shit. Yeah. Everything you get, you got the word hard for it. Honey, shake your hips, you don't stop. And then, of course, my last two, four and five. How could they not be um, Juicy and Big Papa? I mean, the... I, if you were going to do a top 50 hip hop tracks of all time, both of those would make it. Which line do you think um, doesn't hold up the best on this album? Would it be blowing up like the world trade? Because that's got to be one of them. Uh, every time I like, like was like listening and like caught him. Oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, I mean, of course, referring to like the first attempt, uh, you know, like the first uh, terrorist attack with the with the bomb, like at the kind of like the basement or the, the, in the parking yeah. garage at the bottom yeah. of the World Trade Center. Yeah, in the early '90s, blowing up like the World Trade. Yeah, uh, not a line that holds up great. I mean, but even then, very provocative. You know what I mean? Oh, for sure. So, like, I I don't know that people loved it then. You know, to just like reference a terrorist attack like that and a huge single uh pretty wild no and and look i think we should i think we should give some time because neither one of us talked about actually neither one of us talked about the last two tracks like but both unbelievable and suicidal thoughts like it is a really dark way to end this album and suicidal thoughts like it is I mean, it's a tough song to listen to. Like, even yeah. even before his death, this was a tough song to listen to. I I should have said this also when I was talking about uh the the first you know actual track that's not the intro. You know, just you you listen to it and you think you're just maybe listening to gangster rap or something. Uh, but when he says, you know, like my mom found cancer in her breast, no wonder I'm so motherfucking stressed or something. You're just like, oh, this is a guy whose whose life is torture. This is not glamorizing any kind of lifestyle. This is a guy who, you know, as if we if we're taking the intro for what it is, uh, God, you know, had to make money doing some things that were against the law, and serve time, and his mom's sick, and he has a kid, he's got a mouth to feed, and he's trying, he's just trying to get by. You know what I mean? Like this is, this is not how cool is it that I, you know, how cool is it that I got out? Not how cool is it that this is what I did. What he did to get out was rap, not deal. You know what I mean? And that's kind of what like gets lost, especially like on white teenagers uh, somehow really fucked the narrative up. I think, uh, cause I thought they were cool just for hearing songs that their parents don't want them hearing. Um, I mean, the whole album is a, he mentions that he's stressed all the time, you know, and that he's depressed 
all time. I mean, so by the time you get to suicidal thoughts, I mean, it's all been kind of building to that moment that even, even with the success that's also on the album, that cannot prevent suicidal thoughts. You know, so that's, that's the darkness of the album. The idea that it's, it's, it's not even that things will get better. It's just, there aren't any other ideas left. Like reaching kind of this point of like, and, and so I, I think that for as much as we make of this album and as great as the album is, it, it ends in a really painful place. And as great as Juicy is and Big Papa is and, you know, is, is monster hits as they were, I, I think that pain on the album got lost to, uh, especially, I mean, we could say white audiences. I, I think that pain on the album got lost to pretty much everyone who was a casual listener, uh, I mean, regardless, like regardless of race. I mean, the, the MTV viewer, the common MTV viewer maybe bought the singles when you could still buy singles yeah. you know, just or radio listeners, right? The people who were not listening to the songs in the context of the record, which is a statement that is much more grand than either of those two songs. Yeah. Those are the two songs that, <laughs> that are to comfort you and to, you know, gently you know, guide you to pick up the record. And then when you really listen to the record, like, um, excuse me, you know, but yeah, I mean, but in another part, I love everything you just said, but what, what makes it exceptionally dark is to hear that voice reaching out to big and him just ignoring it. Yeah. You know? And this is something that, you know, is happening something on uh on the monster album by rem uh michael stipe has a song let me in that he wrote for kurt cobain after his suicide and which is such a devastating song also but whoa is it way more intense when you hear just like that literally hear someone reach out to big and big just going through like you know just just ignoring it and then Big's voice ending and, the, and then the voice on the other, other line trying to reach him go. I mean, it's just, it's, it's very effective and it's very uh, impactful. And, you know, people are trying to, you know, destigmatize mental health now. I mean, in 94, I mean, people were not having the conversations we are in 2023. Uh, they, they were, you know, wrapped up in these kinds of things here you know it's a and seeming still now like kendrick is maybe the only way into pimp a butterfly in the song you before he gets to i you know that very dark where he has the the battle with himself you know again more about thoughts of suicide and things like that you know and you know so it's it's a he's an important voice because i mean i think people think that he's important because of his success or that he's important because uh, he was so gangster or so baller or whatever but i think for the people who are wanting to follow in his footsteps i think it's things like suicidal thoughts not just things like big papa that 
you know, they pick up on. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's that just like, oh, I have to lay it all out there. I have to show, I have to show them everything. I can't just do the braggadocia thing, which Biggie does. He does it very well. But I can't just do that because that shit gets old fast. And Jay learned that the hard way doing nothing but that on a couple records of his. You know, the the, the concept album of how great Jay-Z is turns out not a great album. <laughs> um, you know, not great for anybody. Yeah. You know, uh, so I think that that's kind of the legacy of this record is just, just like lay it all out there. Mm-hmm. Good, bad, ugly, scary depressing funny uh biggie stuck uh, he says something like biggie is all up in them like a wedgie or something you know he runs biggie and wedgie at some point uh, you know there's there's a lot of humor you know so you know just uh get get it all in there lay, lay it all out there don't just pick because if you if you just do the depressing suicidal concept album that sucks too yeah <laughs> that shit sucks too no one wants to hear that either Right. There's, there's a balance and, and, well, and but I think, on the first album found that. Yeah. And, but I, I think, I think the way he does it is, is not by aiming for a balance. I think the way he does that is just by, by telling a pretty honest, at least, at least in terms of its emotion, it's a pretty honest kind of autobiographical narrative Mm-hmm. And and so no one's life is all bad and no one's life is all good. Like in and, and so I, I don't think that you make this album great by some kind of like Machiavellian calculation for balance. I think you just tell an honest story, good, bad, and ugly. Mm-hmm. And that's what comes out of it. Um so weirdly enough. This is the rumor I've heard. No idea if this is true or not. We know one of the earliest big fans of this album in 1994 was the one and only Michael Jackson, who supposedly, based on what I've heard, was a big fan of big choosing to end the album the way he did with suicidal thoughts as the closer. And it's such a big deal to Michael Jackson that the next year when Michael Jackson is finishing his project, history, past, present, and future, book one, Mm -hmm. he invites Big to do a guest verse on this time around. And so, listener, I want to let you listen to Big's guest verse on a Michael Jackson song from 1995, because uh, it is wild. I got problems of my own. Flashing cameras, taps on my phone. Even in my home, I ain't safe as I should be. Things always missing. Maybe it could be my friends. They ain't friends if they robbing me. Stopping me from making a profit. See, apology, shallow like the ocean. I guess I resort to gun token. If I was death broke and smoking, I'd probably be by my lonesome. I'm a killer nigga, I ain't joking. Endo smoke got me choking. I'm hoping the fool comes slipping so I can blow him open. This time around, I changed up my flow. Got rid of the rocks, got pits by the dough. A real set of people's to watch my back. Stay away from strangers so I won't slack. And I know my nigga might like that. Hey, 
I'm going to ask three questions, and I want us to wrestle with all three of them. All right, Andy Richter style. The first question is this. Rolling Stone last year said this is the best hip-hop album of all time. Do you agree? I think there's a case for it. Okay. I mean, everyone has their own preferences, right? I mean, I think historically it has to be in the top 10. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. I think I think a list that doesn't happen in the top 10 is maybe not worth your attention if it's not in there. I think even maybe top five, there's a great case for it to be on there. But then again, my personal top five makes me think we'll probably push it out. Yeah. But it would, it would make my personal 10, but not my personal five. Yeah. Cause if, cause, cause personally, like this is all well documented. Love tribe, love outcast, doom, De La and Kendrick, right? Those are kind of my top five. You know, like those are the people I'm always going to go to first. All right. Um, but historically speaking, if I remove my bias, you know, uh, you know, it probably belongs in the top five. And I mean, with the, with a lot of lists, you're, the, the top five are kind of like an interchangeable five. I think it's just like any one of these could reasonably be number one, right? The, it's just like top five is, is a tier more than it is just like one, two, three, four, five. Certainly belongs in the, in the top five or in the top 10. But yeah, I, I think it, I think that's, I think it's fine. That's number. What's crazy about that list is that Stankonia is number two. That's even crazier. And I think blueprint is three Then I think miss E so addictive is four. And then I think to pimp a butterfly is five. That's a wild top five. That that's like too uh, that that's too much for me to handle. Even even if I'm like yes uh, to pimp a butterfly, yes at five. Stankonia, make it a Quimini, and still I'm like this is still a wild top. But I don't know. There's something so wild. I mean, but low in theory is in that top ten. I think it's like number eight. Uh, I, don't, I don't have it on me, but you know. So yeah, what what, what do you think, Rob? Look, I, I I don't think it is the best. I, I don't think it is the best hip hop album of all time. It wouldn't it wouldn't make my personal top five. But I think objectively, when we're saying what are the ten best hip hop albums of all time, I think it makes that list. Yeah, and, and to the point you're making about when you're doing lists, you're thinking of tiers more than you are actual ranking. Mm-hmm. So it is a top tier. Yeah, it, it is the the tier of all time greats. It is in that tier of hip hop albums. Question number two: the most recent iteration of the Rolling Stone 500 puts this at 22. Is that high? Is that low? Is that right where it's supposed to be? What do you think about that? I mean, what's interesting about that is that. There are hip hop albums higher than that, even though Rolling Stone is called the best hip hop album of all time. Yet there are hip hop albums above it on that very list, I believe. And I think one of them is Kanye. And I think that's wrong. 
I mean, in the, in the top 25, again, think of it as a tier. And you, and you know that you want to include an X amount or you're going to include an X amount of hip-hop records. And that means that only a few of them are going to be in the top 25. Then I would say that that's, that's reasonable. Again, it's hard because my preference, you know, I, you know, I, I know that there are albums that I love more that are lower that I want to see personally higher, but I, I don't think it's, I think that's reasonable. I, I, I w- that's not something I would go to Twitter and be like, have you seen this bullshit? You know, that's, that's nothing I would be upset about. I think that's, I think that's reasonable. It's just, it's just so influential. Yeah. And it's hard because like, it's sometimes you look at the pick and you're like, well, that's like more of an artist pick than like an album pick, but it's just like, well, the only, it's the only album that came out in his lifetime. So like, you can't really remove like, oh, is this, you know what I mean? So it's just like, hmm, you know, like, it's just, it's just, it, it just, it, to me, it just makes sense that, that it would be, you know, in a top 20, definitely that, that it was never in the top 100 is what's crazy until 2020. That's actually kind of crazy. Yeah. I stand by, I think, I think 22 is, is fair, reasonable. And that, Anyone could make that case. I, I, I think it needs no justification. Yeah. I like this. Yeah. In the place with style and grace Allow me to lace these lyrical douches In your bushes uh. Who rock grooves and make moves with all the mommies The, the back, back of the club, club. Sipping my wit is where you find me what? The back of the club Macking holes, my crew's behind me uh. Mad question asking, blunt passing Music lasting But I just can't quit Because one of these homies Biggie got to creep with Sleep with, keep the epic secret Why not? Uh. Why blow up my spot? Cause we both got hot Now check it I got more Mac than Craig And in the bed believe me sweetie i got enough to feed the needy no need to be greedy i got mad friends with benzes see notes by the layers true fucking players jump in the rover and come over tell your friends jump in the gf3 i got the chronic by the truth throw your hands in the air if you's a true player the third question is ultimately going to be, does this album belong on our list? But before I ask it, I want to ask one wild card question. Okay. There's no way for us to know this. So this is just speculation on our part. Yes or no. Was Suge Knight involved in Biggie's death? Oh, good grief. I, Suge Knight is a bad man. And so he's a an easy person to pin that on, I think. Um, I'm not someone who looks into the particulars of these cases. What's crazy is that people are still talking about Tupac and Biggie's death. And somebody recently came forth saying that they have proof that Diddy played a part in Tupac's death. Have you heard this? 2022-ish, someone came out and basically said, hey, I have proof Diddy was involved in Tupac's death. Um, 
or if if not directly involved in Tupac's death, he was definitely behind the robbery at the New York studio that was res- New York studio that resulted him in being shot. So if you if you don't remember this, Tupac was shot five times outside of a recording studio in New York in 1995 before he went and signed to death row records. And um, there has been uh, someone who's come flat out and said that uh, that Puff was involved mm-hmm. in that robbery, in that shooting. So at least he was involved on an attempt that was that was made on. And the bad timing here is that the bonus track on Ready to Die, Who Shot You? That comes out. It's reco- It's written and recorded beforehand, but comes out after Tupac's been shot. Yeah, and that fuels a fire that is beyond the point of, of being extinguished. Yeah, yeah. In in in. Look, multiple people, multiple insiders have said that prior to this, prior to 1995, Big and Pac were on good terms. Yes. They had recorded together. They, I mean, they, they, you know, whether or not they were friends, they were at least acquaintances who who got on well together. Before Big did Ready to Die, I mean, to do the East Coast West Coast thing, he had a mixtape of him rapping over West Coast beats. Yeah. All right. So there, there wasn't like the the East Coast West Coast beef wasn't this like thing that had like always been happening. It, it's it's wild and it sucks. And then and then on top of that, then there was the 2012 listener. If if you know what I'm talking about, please reach out to us and and correct me on this. But anyways, it 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 basically come out came out the extent to which Suge was supposedly behind um, the L.A. shooting, the L, the L.A. drive by shooting that was what led to Big's death. All this to say, look, the the '90s, this three-year period of time, whether it was uh, Pot getting shot in New York, Pot getting shot in Vegas, Biggie getting shot in Los Angeles, a number of not quite as famous people shot and killed, and a shooting seemingly every year at the Source Awards. Um, it, look, it, it was. It was a time where the art imitating life, imitating art, um, mm-hmm. it it got real ugly. And uh, we're not out of the woods for sure, but we still haven't seen, you know, like something of this magnitude where, you know, but it's also because we don't have thing, something like MTV News where they're going to show the casket going down the streets, you know, that that's an image. I think that a lot of people still have in their minds, if they were alive in 1997, you know, the, the image of a big's casket, um, being going through the streets and people playing his music, you know, I think that's kind of going to be imprinted on people who, who saw it, uh, for, for a long, long time, you know, so it's, uh, it's, it's, it sucks, you know, uh, um, about all there is to it. Yeah. Well, Micaiah, let's end with this question. Does Ready to Die belong on our list? Absolutely. 
Um, full disclosure, I don't think it's going to be 22. I think it's going to be as high as 22. Um, because our love is more for, you know, as we've said already, tribe, outcast, yeah. doom, even, you know, um, and I don't know that this album also kind of has like that, that classic status, the where it's just kind of like, it, it, it's why it's a season three pick for us. It's like picking dark side of the moon. Like it, it has been around for so long that it's just such like a obvious pick that it's just like like well no one's going to argue against this pick and no no one's saying that it doesn't belong there and of course we love it and we loved it when we were young but it's not like the album I, I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth but I'm I'm sure you agree it's not like this is not like a record I'll put it this way I bought this LP because I knew we would cover it on the podcast at some point same same so so literally I, I bought it at the beginning of this year once yeah. we had settled on what our season three list was going to be. Yeah, that's why I bought the LP because I'm, I'm trying to, you know, I want to have all the LPs that we talk about on here. I'm doing so successfully. Um, so otherwise, I this is not one that I would have been just like, oh, I, I got to have that in my collection. I got to have it, you know, like it a lot, you know, grew up on, you know, some of these songs, you know, um, but, you know, it, it's never been one for me that i that has just like really you know you know rock my world in the same way that like low in theory which you covered has mm -hmm. you know so it's, it's it's never gonna like i'm never gonna have that level of affection for it um so when you know we rank we're gonna have to do it soon we rank things we try to be objective like what is objectively the best if we try to eliminate bias which is you know, impossible, but we try. And then we match that with our favorite and our preference. And then that's how we come up with our list. Uh, maybe that's flawed. Maybe that's not how the final list will be made. Nevertheless, that's how we've approached it so far in the first half of the show. So I don't know where that's going to put it. Now, I'm not going to tank it. I'm not going to put it. I don't think it's of the 75 albums we'll have covered. I'm not going to put in the bottom five or bottom 10 um, no i mean i think i think it's realistically a top 50 on our list thus far yeah i think that's i think that might be right on look it's undeniably a great top tier hip-hop album i think it is one of the best hundred albums ever made um and and so i, I think it deserves to be on our list but again like you said it's not a personal favorite or in our personal top five for either one of us, which is just why it's taken so long. The thing for me is just like uh, the beats aren't particularly inspired. Uh, I, I don't, I don't find like, I mean, again, they're not the main attraction. Yeah. But, right? but yeah, the, the beats aren't anything special. This is a rapper's album. Like this, absolutely. like this is an album you you are coming for big rapping and that's why you're staying there's there's nothing else going on here that is attracting you other than big um, yes, absolutely because when people talk so, about those other yeah. records they're talking about the production they're not just talking about yeah right, the rhymes. They're, they're talking about especially the records i just named yeah. So that being said, I, I think that's its greatest strength, but I also think simultaneously that would be the knock against it. 
is yeah. that big is phenomenal on it, but big is the only thing phenomenal on it. I mean, but but it's big, so it's yeah, very phenomenal. Yeah, you know, so it's you know that's we're not again, we're not like finally in the last stretch of this episode trashing the album we're just saying for us like what keeps you know where there's nothing on here like check the rhyme mm-hmm. or bug it out that just like musically just like oh my god you know it, it is the you know and, and we're also not lyrics first people yeah so I mean, we got a really very few exceptions yeah you gotta really spend time with it to start kind of catching it's not one that's you know Juicy and Big Papa, you can latch onto right away. It takes a few times to like to like really catch the wordplay sometimes, or sometimes you catch it. You know, I'm I'm speaking for myself, really. You know, so it it rewards me listening to it because you you catch onto the brilliance because it's not just like another hip hop record where you're just gonna put it on and just kind of bob your head for a while. Like you, it demands your attention, which is why, like you were saying, is a rapper's album. Mm-hmm why every rapper says Biggie's the best rapper, but then you and I who are really interested in production are, you know, that's why we look at something like, you know, earlier this season, like Mad Villainy, where you're like, well, that's actually way more, you know, Mad Lib, like, I think we like Mad Lib much more than any of the producers on Ready to Die. Like, that's just... Wholeheartedly. You know, a production, but you know, but okay, this is what also I think what you're saying is is the strength of the album because you don't want, if you are a producer, if you're Diddy and you know you have B.I.G., you know you have Biggie, you don't want a production that's going to take away and distract you from your best asset, which is Biggie. We also have to be honest that that is... It's big, but that's all it is. There's nothing else going on here that you're showing up for. And yeah, it's its greatest strength, and yeah, it's a mighty record because you know it's you know yeah, it's solid. So, listener, what do you think? Is this for you a top five, top ten hip hop album of all time? Is it number one for you? Did we get this right? Are you? listening right now and hearing everything that we're saying about life after death and saying that we're insane and that we got the wrong biggie album let us know reach out to us you can of course find us on instagram at you forgot one on twitter or what is now x at you forgot one pod of course our website is you forgot one.com but micaiah for everyone who's listening to this podcast regardless of what they think about this album and where it ranks among the best hip hop albums of all time, what should they do on their myriad podcasting platforms? Like follow subscribe uh, to the podcast. So that whenever we drop new episodes, they are ready there uh, for you to listen to. Um, Also, if you feel so inclined, give us a five-star review. Uh, you could do one better and you can write a review. Um, one, it lets us know what it is that you like about the show. And two, it helps other people find it, uh, which we love. Um, also, Rob, we've reached a, a, a phase in our careers where we, we have stuff that we uh, could actually plug. Yeah. Um, so I'll say that, um, I've, I've written, I'm contributing to the fanzines for Bandbox, 
uh, who released special editions of records. I contributed to the Yola Tango and the Nothing Turned Itself Inside Out zine. That record is available on, on their on their website. It's called Bandbox, and also to uh, Noise Floor. I wrote something for Noise Floor by Bright Eyes. That's also available, and I've written for a couple other ones um, that will be coming out for pre-order. Um, Kurt Vile. Mm-hmm. The 10th anniversary waking on a pretty days and i just turned in something for elliot smith uh their volume two for uh, roman candle and self-titled um all of which are available for for pre-order yeah and uh, and i'll just let you know just a quick shout out i mean mikai has sent me over uh some of the samples that he's written that are going to be in these band box zines to accompany these albums and uh, man, Makai is a great writer and you're going to love to read what he has to say, uh, especially about a, a a dearly beloved album from him and nothing turn itself inside out by Yolo Tango. So if nothing else, if that's an album you don't own, hop onto Bandbox, order that, get the accompanying zine with it. You're going to be able to read Makai's writing about one of his favorite Yolo Tango albums And then, of course, I've got another podcast going on top of You Forgot One. Uh, I have a podcast called Generous Orthodoxy, all about the messy human interaction of culture, history, politics, and religion. And uh, if you ever want to take a 20-minute deep dive on uh, the nerdiness of the history of kudzu in the American South, the morality of our coffee consumption or hear an interesting story about the one and only Lutheran priest turned wannabe Adolf Hitler assassin Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You want to listen to that wherever you pick up podcasts. So what track are we going to leave him with, Rob? You know, it's a dark one, but again, I, I think we have to just acknowledge uh, the place that this album lands here is Suicidal Thoughts. When I die, fuck it, I wanna go to hell Cause I'm a piece of shit, it ain't hard to fucking tell It don't make sense going to heaven with the goody goodies Dressed in white, I like black Tims and black hoodies Gotta probably have me on some real strict shit No sleeping all day, no getting my dick licked Hanging with the goody goodies, lounging in paradise Fuck that shit, I wanna tote guns and shoot dice All my life I've been considered as the worst Lying to my mother, even stealing out a purse Crime after crime, from drugs to extortion I know my mother wish she got a fucking abortion She don't even love me like she did when I was younger Sucking on her chest just to stop my fucking hunger I wonder if I died, would tears come to her eyes? Forgive me for my disrespect, forgive me for my lies My baby mother's eight months, her little sister's two Who's to blame for both of them? I swear to God I wanna just slip my wrist and end this bullshit Hold the magnum to my head threaten the bullshit And squeeze until the beds completely red I'm glad I'm dead, a worthless fucking Buddha head 
Stress is building up, I can't, over here, I can't believe suicide's on my fucking mind. I wanna leave, I swear to God, I feel like death is fucking calling me. Calling nah, you wouldn't understand. Nigga, talk to me, please, man. You see, it's kinda like the crack did the pookie and New Jack. Except when I cross over, it ain't no coming back. Should I die on the train track like Rainbow and Beat Street? People at the funeral front and like they miss me. My baby mama kissed me, but she glad I'm gone. She know me and her sister had something going on. Hey, yo. I reach you my peak, me, I can't speak Call my nigga Cheek, tell him that my will is weak hey, yo, I'm sick on, of nigga. niggas lying, I'm sick of bitches hey, hawking Matter of fact, sick of talk